0: Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the CityPoint Redcliffe podcast. You're just about to hear a message from one of our incredible preaching team, and I know you're gonna be encouraged and inspired by what you hear. If it does encourage you, why don't you share it with someone who you know might need to hear it as well? And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. And for now, sit back and enjoy. I hope you get blessed.
1: But um, we're going to come around the word right now, and um, I got a lot of notes, and so we'll see where we go, eh? It's going to be fun. And uh, But we're we're in this overall annual theme of up and out, and it's this attitude that we have as Christ followers that as we, we turn our attention to God, um, as we lift our worship to Him, as we lift our hearts to Him, as we lift our gaze to Him, um, we find ourselves um, moving out of things, moving out of who we once were, into new things. Um, We're moving out of maybe a poverty mindset into a victor mindset. Um, We're also looking not only from ourselves, we're looking to other people as well. And so the first couple of months that we've actually been looking at this, we've been focusing, the, the key point is the upper room. And the upper room is an event in history that is recorded in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit comes and, and baptizes the first 120 believers, and that results in mind-blowing consequences. So much so that fast forward a, a few thousand years, you find just oh, who two thousand years, you find yourself in a room on the. 19th of February um, here tonight. Why? Because 120 people waited on the Holy Spirit to move in power. And so as, as we come around this, I, I really want to just flesh this story out, but we're going to examine some of the, the human aspect of this story tonight and who we are in this narrative and what this means for our world around us. But before we get into it, I want to I frame the point that in the upper room, before we get to that point in Acts 1, it won't be on the screen, we're just going to talk about it. There's this scenario where Jesus is eating with his disciples. Who likes food? Great. We're in a, we're in a safe place here. <laughs> uh, he's eating with his disciples. He's having a good meal. And Jesus likes to drop truth bombs over food. Join a life group. That's where most of the truth bombs happen, and so he's dropping some truth bombs. And he says, "I want you to wait in Jerusalem until I send my helper, send this gift, what we now know to be the Holy Spirit, to come, and to give you power to go out." And then they say something that's honestly a little bit strange to us, and they say, "Well, Jesus, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel?" And this seems funny to us because we have no idea what they're talking about, unless you've read the rest of the Bible. And we, we find themselves in a tension here because Jesus is telling them, I've just risen from the dead. I've conquered sin. There is a new kingdom being established. And they're going like, yo, the new kingdom is here. Let's get moving on this. Jesus, is this the moment that it's all gonna go down? Of course, they mean like boycotting and overcoming Rome at this time. And so it's not quite the same parallel. But they're thinking, let's overflow, let's overwhelm, the kingdom is being established, let's go. And Jesus is like, yeah, let's go, see you later, I'm leaving the planet. I'm sorry, what What category is that a good plan? Hey, I have a really good idea. Let's go out to dinner tonight after the service. I'll meet you there, and then I go home. <laughs> Not only is that a terrible friend move, <laughs> but it's just a terrible way to establish something new. And we're like, Jesus, what's going on? But you get this sense that if Jesus says something, there's a, there's a bit of a... okay. If God says it, and I have a problem with the tension here, God's probably not the one on the wrong side here. I probably need to mold my mentality around it and understand what's going on. And so we see this problem here as they go, God, are you about to establish? And he's like, actually, I'm establishing something totally new, something totally different. And he leaves the planet. And... And his disciples, I'm sure, are very puzzled. That's why they keep staring into the sky. And they need a bunch of angels to be like, yo, why are you staring into the sky? Go and wait and do what he's told you to do. They don't even know what's coming. They don't know that in a a few days that the Spirit of God is going to come in power and 3,000 are going to be added to their number. They just literally watch the guy that has been all about leave. And they're like, well, I guess we better do what he said. Let's go into the upper room. Let's get on our knees. Let's pray. Holy Spirit falls. And what's jarring to me and incredible to me is that the church and the Holy Spirit is enough in God's plan to transform the world. Like, you in this room plus the Holy Spirit are enough for Redcliffe to see salvation and redemption. I'm I'm not sure I fully believe that. Because I'm not sure how many people are here, probably around 110. Um, You get pretty good at eyeballing how many people are in a room after a while, 110 maybe. But you plus the Holy Spirit enough to see something shift in your family. You plus the Holy Spirit are enough to see your work colleagues' mind redeemed from anxiety. You plus the Holy Spirit are actually enough to see family and generations of bondage, of victim mentality, of maybe alcoholism, maybe different addictions and abuses actually broken off and seeing new genealogy set forth you and the Holy Spirit, and they've literally seen the risen Jesus, and they don't have a comprehension of this. They have to see the outworking of the Holy Spirit. They actually have to do it for them to believe it, which is an incredible, annoying thing, because God, show me what you're going to do. Okay, go do it. Like there's this, this, this confusion, there's this tension and the major issue that I see with Jesus' plan here, which, of course, has nothing to do with Jesus, is the people aspect of that. Me plus the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, great. Good job. Killing it, creating the world, hovering over the waters. He, he's good at this. He's done this before. I'm pretty messed up. I'm not sure how good you are. I'm not sure how adequate you feel. I'm not sure whether you feel strong all the time, whether you feel like you're walking to work each day and you're like, yo, let's crush some devils today. Or you're like, yo, get out of my way, you just cut me off. I'm not sure what you side on. I know which direction I generally side on. I work here. <laughs> I'll leave that up to your imagination. But there seems to be that people are God's plan. But I'm people, and I'm a problem. So let's talk about this, this tension here of Holy Spirit is enough. God is enough. But how do you work with not enough as well? How do you work with the tension of God? You're calling me to something way beyond my capacity, my capability, my sense of self, my sense of worth, my sense of ability, my sense of capacity? How do I step out beyond myself and trust that you're enough? How do I take the walk on the water and not sink? Whoop, missed it. Uh, No, like, how do we find it? And what we're gonna do is we're gonna rewind. We're gonna rewind. We're gonna rewind from Acts all the way back to book two of scripture being Exodus. And we're going to meet this guy named Moses. Say, hi, Moses. (laughs) That was weak. But that's okay. And in Moses' story, we get this this similar tension. Because the upper room is an encounter. And when there's an encounter, there's always a commissioning. And the commissioning for the the church is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, etc., etc. There's a different commissioning that comes from an encounter that Moses has with a burning bush. And it's it's not about the bush, it's about the Spirit of God is speaking to him through the bush. And the fire is the presence and power of God. And there's all this stuff in that. But it's in this encounter that we actually get a glimpse into our own hearts around these, let's call them excuses, that we can present God being how and why and, and God's response to this. So we are gonna read in Exodus chapter two. I was gonna, three, I meant to, no, you get it. Chap, Exodus chapter three, and we are gonna read from verse seven and we are gonna go through to verse 12. And it says this, the Lord said, he's at the bush, it's burning, Um, He's taken off his sandals. It's a moment. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians, to bring them up out into the land that is good and spacious. Jumping down to verse 10 through all of that. So now... You go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people up out of Israel. uh, Sorry, bring my people, the Israelites, up out of Egypt. Pause. Verse eight says, "So I, the Lord, have come down." Verse ten says, "So you go." It's the same. The Holy Spirit descends. People are sent. When God sees a need, He sends a people. And so we get this here. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that you—that is, I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The Lord's... And so... Who am I that I should go and the Lord said I will be with you. I'm not sure about you but that's a different answer to a different question. God, how is this going to happen? I will be with you. Now I said how? What's the strategy? What's the plan here? What's the capacity? Who am I? Moses, in all of this focus, it's all about him. It's all about his limitations, his incapabilities. And God says, I will be with you. Here's the thing I want us to take away from tonight. It's not about who you are. It's about who is with you. It's not about who you are. It's about who is with you. As you walk into work tomorrow, as you confront your boss that may be of a different variety of lifestyle than you, who might treat people in a different variety than you, that your colleagues might speak differently than you, and you can walk in and you go, how on earth is anything going to budge in this place? I am one man, I am one woman, what can I do here? And God says, I will be with you. When you go back to your home, and we've seen this with teenagers, as they, as they get saved, as they encounter God, as they go back home, they see their family transformed, not because of their great persuasiveness, but because it's not who they are, it's about the God who is with them. It's not who you are but it's the God who is with you. All you need to do is, I will go. I will go. It's that that encounter that Isaiah has in the upper room. As he hears God after he's been purified and he hears the voice of God, his ears are tuned in like a radio to what God has been saying and speaking over the world. Who will go for us? And Isaiah will go. He doesn't know what the mission is yet. I will go. But it's who is asking him. It's who is sending him. And so he knows it's not who he is, but it's about who is with him. And so it's, but every day, confronted by who we are, confronted by our limitations, it's confronted by God, I can't do that. You don't know who you've called. <clears throat> yep, that worked for Moses. Moses says, I, "I can't speak, Lord. I got a stutter." And God responds, "Who made the tongue?" Well, that's a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like trying to a parent. Just being, like, "Oh, Mum, can I can I buy some? You spend some money?" It's like it's my money. <laughs> it's not your money. It's my money. Like, I I got more than enough. Who, who made the tongue? And it's it's funny because in all of the 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 things that we see in uh, the history of the Bible, this is the first point that God is recorded at getting angry. Man, you do not want to be the dude who is the first guy in history that God is getting angry at. And, and it just, Moses comes up with excuse after excuse. And so uh, let's touch on one of them. And it's going to be down in Exodus, actually, chapter 4, and verse 1. It says, Moses answered, what if they don't believe or listen to me and say, Lord, the Lord did not appear to you? Well, what if I go into my school and I start saying things and they reject me? What if I go into my workplace and they start asking me questions that I don't have answers to? Then the Lord said to him, "What is that in your hand?" Again, like the God, God is not answering his insecurities. He is so reaching over his insecurities, the limitations of his personality, the limitations of his speech impediment, and he's going, "What do you have on you?" And he's like, "Well, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm an a r i am um, i am ai am an original an Ordinary shepherd kid, and he's like, Well, what do you have? I got a staff, that's enough. Wow. Yeah. I've got an obedient heart and a hard working manner, well, that's enough. Right. Well, I, I can, I, I, li- I like hosting people in my house for coffee, well, that's enough. Right. Well, I, I, I can, I can, I like learning. Well, that's enough. Well, what can you do for the kingdom? Well, I, I, I can make money. I can start business. That is enough. Because it's not what you are, who, who you are. It's not even about us. It's not even about Moses. It's about the people of Israel. It's about God's redemptive plan. It's about the fact that it's God's power through them. What is in your hand, my friend? And maybe it's not what you think it is. Maybe you're like, man, I am swinging my hardcore sword right now, and it is sharp, it is fly, and it is going to cut down the devil. And it turns out to be like a little paper knife. (laughs) And what God's looking at is the staff in your hand going, what is the thing that God, you just need to say yes to God to, and that will be enough for him. And so God's power is perfected. In weakness and ordinary is enough. It's about the submission into his hand. It's not about who we are, but it's about who is with you. And there's there's this narrative in uh, Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus gets baptized. And it's an encounter of uh, a crazy nature because this is Jesus, the Son of God, who has to get baptized. Cool. Um, Let's skip over that point. And the Holy Spirit descends on him And it says something to him. The Spirit says something in the people around him. It says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I've I've thought about this before. It's like this moment that Moses encounters. It's like, wouldn't you want a strategy? he's about to go into his ministry, he's about to step into healing people, he's about to step into uh, taking on the sin and the weight and to come up against so much opposition, wouldn't you want a bit more of a strategy? But instead of speaking strategy, God speaks identity. And in this thing, we see that, hey, it's not about what he had, it was about the God who is with him even jesus it wasn't about just his abilities it was about the spirit of god that was in him that's why that's why he's the perfect ex, um exhibition of who we are to live like and so it's not about who we are it's who is with us and joshua we see this as well joshua chapter one some of the favorite scripture that has encourage me over and over joshua gets a commission from the from god. Moses has died. says, uh, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, you now lead these people into the promised land that I have commanded you to. And Joshua is a lot of things that Moses isn't. And he just goes, I'm in. Um, he's timid and all this sort of stuff, but he is in. And he's God says these lines to Joshua, it won't be on the screen, it says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the Lord my servant, uh, the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it left or right, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it so that you may be careful to do everything in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Verse 9 of chapter 1 of Joshua says this, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? In the same way that Moses had a lisp and rebuked God, it says, who made the tongue? He's giving this commission to Joshua, have I not commanded you? It's not about who you are, what you can do, it's about the God who is with you. And I've got other stuff here, but honestly, I think, well, let's just sit with that tonight. Let's just sit and worship. Let's stand together right now as the rest of the creative team comes and joins. But my friend, the encounter that you have with God has a commissioning aspect to it too. We don't just sit and soak in the presence of God so we can become a big fat sponge at the bottom of the sea. But we, we absorb and we overflow. To every upper room there's an outlet. There has to be the 3,000 saved with the upper room. You can't have the upper room, then a bunch of guys go, man, what a great service that was. Wow, the presence of God was real. Let's go home. There was an outpouring that resulted from the inpouring in their life. There's always an outlet to the in. There's always where a stream, not a dam. That's a bad example. Dams do store water for other people, but you get the point. <laughs> But there's the idea that the Spirit of God is, we do not come and worship. We do not come and dwell in the presence. We do not come and pray. We do not come and lean into um, what God is speaking to you intimately and personally, just so we can go, man, what a great service. The Lord really spoke to me in a real personal way tonight. I'll see you next Sunday. But there is a tomorrow. There is an outlet. There is an outpouring that is resultant from the inpouring of the Holy Spirit.
0: Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I wanna say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.